Hey you guys, this is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and here we are in weekday, whatever it is, of this quarantine, and we are doing okay, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, We hope that this finds you safe and healthy as well. Um, I think the other night we were playing some board games, which we haven't got to in a long time. And I was just thinking it's kind of fun to resurrect or maybe find some new hobbies um, in this extra time. To see how much we've grown. We used to play board games with each other and get really upset when the other person won. And (laughs) we were smiling at the end of our game last night. I'm so proud of you, Zach, for not crying (laughs) when I beat you the other night. No, but it's just been fun to kind of do some of those things that... um, we don't get to usually. Yeah. So hopefully you're finding some of those little joys amidst all that's going on. Um, and yeah, tonight we're here again to get studying. What we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is something a little bit different. Um, in 2018, we have mentioned before, we did a Book of Mormon season uh, on the podcast already. And as we re-listened to these episodes on these Mosiah chapters, we really liked the questions that we posed um, and thought that might be a really meaningful thing still for your study. Now, uh, it's two years out of date, and so you'll have to take that episode or take that content and kind of apply it to you. But what we want to do is replay just some portions of our episodes from two years ago that we think are relevant to your study now and even relevant to the situation that we're going through. Um, And then, of course, we'll do our still add a little bit from us. And uh, the magic of scripture study is always going to come from what you put into it and what happens at home and with your family. So, um, but we're really excited for what this will do, hopefully for your study, um, because of what it's done for ours. And what it was, was we kind of put these Mosiah chapters into three parts and they line up very similarly to how Come Follow Me has has done that. So this week's study is Mosiah 7 through 10. We're going to piece some of those pieces um, from our last episode together. Um, and I think it will be it will be a fun way to yeah. study these. So Now, before you dive in, these chapters can get kind of confusing because there's a lot of movement. People are moving from place to place, and the narration of the story also jumps forward and backwards in time. For example, chapter 7 and 8 continue the timeline we've been on, but chapter 9 takes an 80-year rewind. And so in order to make sense, let me give you a little narration, a little explanation of what's going to happen uh, over the next couple of chapters that you'll read. To aid your study, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we have a map on our website. If you go to scripturestudyproject.com, on our website there's a downloadable map uh, that diagrams everything that I'm going to explain. So maybe you've already downloaded it and you can pull it up and uh, look at it, which will help you. And if not, you can still jump over there and grab it. We have to get a little bit of Nephite history uh, under our belts in order for this to make sense. So very beginning of the Book of Mormon, Lehi and his family leave the old world. They come to the new world or the promised land, and they name the place that they land the land of Lehi-Nephi. Now, the Nephites and Lamanites will live there for quite a while until King Mosiah I, who's the father of King Benjamin and the grandfather of King Mosiah II, receives a revelation that the Nephites are to leave the land of Lehi-Nephi and head up 
and they discover a new land that they call the land of Zarahemla. So from here on out, for most of the Book of Mormon, the Nephites live in Zarahemla, and the Lamanites live in the land of Lehi-Nephi, or sometimes even just the land of Nephi. Partway through the history, there starts to become this desire among the Nephites to reclaim the land of their inheritance. Um, and so there's a couple of little journeys that head down to the land of Nephi. One of them is led by a man named Zenith. Zenith takes off, goes down to the land of Nephi, and then he's not heard from for years. People petition King Mosiah II to send a search party after him, and eventually he does. And this search party, headed by a man named Ammon, not the arm chopping off Ammon, a different one, they go down to the land of Nephi, and Ammon meets Limhi, who is the grandson of Zenith. There's been 80 years in between Zenith leaving and Limhi and his people being discovered by Ammon. When Ammon gets down there, Limhi is going to tell him the whole story. And so that's where chapter 9 starts. We rewind and get the story of Zenith. Zenith is going to talk about his reign. Then uh, there, his son Noah is the next king, which we're, of course, he's very infamous. Uh, Noah and Abinadi and that story all takes place. In the middle of that story, there's a flash sideways because the person that believes Noah is Alma. Alma is going to take his people out of the land of Nephi into the wilderness, the waters of Mormon and the land of Helam. And then we're going to go back to it or back to the storyline, and Noah's son Limhi is now king, and Limhi and his people live in bondage for years and years until they're discovered by Ammon, and then the story ends with Ammon and Limhi going back to the land of Zarahemla, and then we have one more chapter in Alma 24, or in Mosiah 24, where Alma and his people make it back to the land of Zarahemla. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think for me, this has been a challenging spot in trying to conceptualize all of this. And I think it's helpful to remember that, that over these next, it's three weeks of these stories that we'll be studying in Come Follow Me and on the podcast, that this is the basic storyline of what we're doing. And for me, maybe I'm a visual learner more than I realize, but it is really helpful to look at something. So maybe you map that out on your own or you can go grab that from our website. But it's been really helpful for me to finally make sense of this story in a lot of ways. So I, I hope that um, that's helpful for you guys too. So dive into the study today. Keep in mind that with everything that's going on and as crazy as this story is, and as crazy as our lives are, God has everything in his hands and he is over our lives and in our lives and throughout our lives. Uh, he'll keep us and protect us and make sure that we are delivered safely home to him. So with that, our episode from two years ago. What we want to focus on is this, and maybe before I read the verse, if I can tell you a stupid story, I heard this a couple months ago. I guess in Canada, two female prison inmates escaped from prison and were caught 24 hours later at, of all places, uh, an escape room. <laughs> Those places where you go and lock yourself in a room and try and get out within an hour. As if breaking out of prison wasn't hard enough, they had to go lock themselves in a room. Stupid story. But I like that story because it illustrates how often we get ourselves in trouble. And the story we're telling today and the lessons we're drawing today are, how do we get ourselves in trouble and how does God get us out? 
And so here's the verse. This is chapter 7, verse 15. This is Limhi explaining to Ammon their predicament. He says, For behold, we are in bondage to the Lamanites, and are taxed with the tax which is grievous to be borne. And then in verse 20, That same God has brought, who brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem and has kept and preserved his people even until now, behold, it is because of our iniquities and abominations that he has brought us into bondage. In other words, we're in trouble and it's our fault. And if you just want a list of the troubles they're facing, start in verse 22 through verse 26, and he lists off their tax. They have to give up their fruits of their labor, their grains, and their flocks. Uh, they have had contentions and infighting, and of course, contentions with the Lamanites that surround them. It's been really ugly for a long time, and it's their fault. So question number one that we're asking today is, what is it that they did that got them in bondage? And by extension, what is it that we sometimes do that puts us in spiritual bondage? Mm -hmm. So the first thing I noticed in these first few chapters was the word deceived. And we see it first in chapter 7, where Limhi, Limhi. is explaining um, how they got into bondage. And he says, Therefore they were deceived by the cunning and craftiness of King Laman. And then again in verse 9, you chapter hear, nine. or chapter 9, you hear Zenith saying pretty much the same thing as he explains his story. Now it was the cunning and the craftiness of King Laman to bring my people into bondage, that he yielded up the land that we might possess it. So basically that he was deceived by this cunning and craftiness that was happening. And how often do we have that today? I think today we have that all over the place. And something I just noticed as I read that last um, sentence in verse 10, that he might, he yielded up the land that we might possess it. He was opening up space mm -hmm. in his, you know, in his, in his kingdom for these people, almost like luring. I just picture him luring yeah. them in. And I mean, we can, all of us are going to have different things that we can liken this to of how we let ourselves be deceived. Um, there's a lot of different bondages that we get into, whether those be physical um, addictions, whether they're, you know, maybe spiritual bondage that we're putting on ourselves. And to where are we letting ourselves get taken into by someone else? Yeah, I like even the way that you said that, that we let ourselves be deceived. Um, and that's kind of what he did too, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, blinded by his ambition. In fact, the point that I found is um, in those verses where it's describing their bondage, one of the reasons that Limhi says is that they would not, this is verse 25 in chapter 7, they would not hearken unto the words of the Lord. They wouldn't hearken unto his prophets. In fact, in verse 26, he talks about the fact that they slayed a prophet of the Lord. They killed Abinadi. Now, that part of the story is really famous. We know that Noah and his people rejected the words of King of Abinadi and that that gets them into trouble and brings upon them their eventual destruction. But that's not the only time they disregarded the prophet. I can't really identify with Noah. I'm not full-scale in rebellion against the words of prophets. I don't hate them the way that Noah seemed to have hated Abinadi. 
but I can relate with this. So Krista read this in chapter 7, verse 21. You are all witnesses this day, this is Limhi speaking, that Zenith, who was made king over this people, he being overzealous to inherit the land of his fathers, therefore being deceived by King Laman. And again, Zenith says this about himself. This is chapter 9, verse 3. And yet I, being overzealous to inherit the land of our fathers, collected as many as were desirous to go up and possess the land and started again on our journey into the wilderness. And that word overzealous struck me. It always does. Because I think I get that one. You get the sense from Zenith, especially if you read the rest of chapter 9, in the very same chapter where he gets his people into bondage, he also fights them out of the Lamanites in the strength of the Lord. You get the sense that Zenith isn't a bad guy. In fact, he seems to be a pretty good guy. He was just overeager or overzealous to do something that actually was contrary to revealed inspiration of prophets and apostles. That were telling them, in that case, to stay in Zarahemla. Right, right. King Mosiah the first, King Benjamin's father, receives revelation that he should take his people from the land of Lehi Nephi up north to the land of Zarahemla. So they're in Zarahemla by prophetic guidance. And I can imagine Zenith coming on hundred years later saying, yeah, but the Lamanites can't be all that bad. In fact, that's what he says in chapter nine. He sees them. They're not all that bad. Certainly this one commandment can be bent by me. Certainly I'll be okay if I go south. Certainly it'll be just fine. And that's one that I can understand because that's one that I do a lot. Certainly this one rule can be bent just a little bit. Certainly that one commandment doesn't really apply to me. It makes me think of President Nelson's cafeteria approach to obedience, right? We often pick and choose the things we want. And maybe we can even apply this in maybe being a little too independent from God. Hmm. Like maybe we're not calling upon him for his guidance and receiving that confirming revelation that they talk about when we don't understand the reason that we're getting directed from a prophet, or maybe we don't understand a counsel that we've been giving, but we instead just are overzealous and want to do our own. And I think of that as maybe a almost too, too independent. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in that sort of an overzealous approach. And it's not that we're doing anything bad. I want to do something good. You're doing something good. But I'm running contrary to what prophets or apostles have asked me to do. Or if you're in bondage, you forget to ask God for help. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is a problem a lot of us have when we are faced with hard things. We think, I can do this by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to do this my own way. Um, so maybe not even just necessarily the prophet's word, but also what's God telling me and how yeah. am I supposed to rely on him? Uh, that makes me think I just have this song in my head from my classic rock days but the Fleetwood Mac song you can go your own way I don't know the lyrics to all the song but that's what's running through my head now and that seems to be kind of what Zenith did I can I can go my own way (laughs) I'll leave that to the professionals Um, this verse I think kind of proves somewhat I don't know damning Uh, this is at the end of chapter 8 Mormon's narrating he's doing his and thus we see He says, Oh, how marvelous are the works of the Lord, and how long doth he suffer with his people? Yea, and how blind and impenetrable are the understandings of the children of men. For they will not seek wisdom, 
neither do they desire that she should rule over them, right? I can do this on my own. I I have a better understanding of it than some prophet does. And then this verse 21, yea, they are as a wild flock which fleeth from the shepherd and scattereth and are driven and are devoured by the beasts of the forest. So there's the kind of negative conclusion to part one. How do we get ourselves in trouble? Well, we allow ourselves to be deceived and we don't hearken to the words of prophets and apostles. We get overzealous in doing our own thing and going our own way. But there's a second part of the story. Um, Chapter 7, at the end of chapter 7, verse 33, I love this verse. If you will turn to the Lord with full purpose of heart and put your trust in him and serve him with all diligence of mind, if you do this, he will, according to his own will and pleasure, deliver you out of bondage. If you've been reading or studying anything from the Book of Mormon, hopefully you have learned the truth that not only God can deliver us, but that he wants to. It's his will and pleasure. And so the second question we asked ourselves is, how does God deliver us out of bondage? Or how do we, what actions do we do that connect us to his already running actions to deliver us? So first is this phrase that appears often in these few chapters, specifically here in verse 9. Um, in the strength of the Lord did we go forth to battle. And then again in chapter 10, in the strength of the Lord. And then he even compares their fighting versus the Lamanites that they fought with the strength of men. And, you know, we, as we were talking about this, you can't not talk about this because what you want to do, what makes us free is the strength of the Lord. But I think there's a lot of different ways that we could feel what the strength of the Lord is. So the question maybe we'd ask you is to think, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What does the strength of the Lord mean? Um, And some of the things that we came up with. That you came up with. Well, I guess just this is something. So I'll share a couple of mine. But I I think this is really such an individual thing that it's kind of cool. Maybe this would be the scuba study that you could do Mm. what does it mean what does the strength of the lord mean and we did look up a a couple conference talks in fact a couple have the exact name Mm -hmm. um that would be a fun extra study to do if you google those but um you know i think in my own personal experience the first the first thing is to use maybe how do i put on the strength of the lord mm-hmm. how do i use that and really make it applicable how do i make that practical yeah mm-hmm. so the first thing i think of an elder choi talked about this maybe last april or I think last so. october um he talked his talk was called look up not around and that's really been a principle that i feel like i have been taught lately is that instead of worrying about what's going on around you or comparing or thinking maybe that you're lesser than people or more than people, look up, look up, don't look around. You get strength from God. If you're really wanting that strength from the Lord, then why do you, why are you worried about what's happening around you? But look up to him, open your eyes to him, open your ears to him. I love that scripture of, you know, eyes to see. It says it all the time in the Book of Mormon and in the New Testament, eyes to see, ears to hear, and he gives us a heart to understand through those things, that we're listening and we are looking at him. This makes me think of, sometimes I'll do this where the scripture says this, but what doesn't it say? 
and I know these are laughable, but it doesn't say they fought in the strength of Instagram or they fought in the strength of the Ward Party or they fought in the strength of this famous Twitter account, which is a lot of times where we go for strength when I'm feeling down or when I'm feeling even bored, I go to, I look around, I look at something next to me to draw strength or inspiration or idea. Mm. And maybe this going to the strength of the Lord is me spending less time looking sideways and more time looking up. That idea of creation versus consumption. Yeah. We're looking up to create something strong and powerful with God instead of looking around us to consume something else. Yeah. Because... We can't, you know, anyway, Mm -hmm. and maybe to go along with what you're just saying is that God works in abundance. There is plenty to go around. He works with goodness and there's no need to compare because with, with God on your side, you are strong in whatever you're doing. And, and I think, I guess these all really tie together. The last one is just knowing that God will speak to you, look up to him, ask him, and you can receive his strength. There's a cool illustration of this uh, in chapter, well, it's hinted at in chapter 11 and then illustrated in chapter 21. Um, This is, I'm cheating because I'm borrowing from Abinadi, who we'll get to in our next episode. But Abinadi says this, It shall come to pass that except this people repent and turn unto the Lord their God, they shall be brought into bondage, and none shall deliver them except it be the Lord except it be the Lord, the Almighty God, which sure sounds a lot like things King Benjamin taught. In fact, if you want a nerd moment, there are a lot of commentators. Abinadi actually lived and taught before King Benjamin gives his address, many years before. Uh, I was listening just recently to some commentary on these chapters where it was proposed that Abinadi might be the angel that shows up to King Benjamin and gives him that sermon because the language is really, really similar. At any rate, same principle. Only Christ can deliver you from bondage. And so to illustrate that, in chapter 21, this is Limhi and his people, and they're trying to get free. They've had enough and they want to get out. In fact, Limhi says, the people began to murmur against the king because of their afflictions. They began to be desirous to go against the Lamanites to battle. They did afflict the king sorely with their complaints. Therefore, he granted unto them that they should do according to their desires. They gathered themselves together. They put on their armor. They went forth against the Lamanites to drive them out of their land. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did beat them and drove them back and slew many of them. And now there was a great mourning and lamentation among the people of Limhi. Verse 10. There were a great many widows in the land, and they did cry mighty from day to day, for great fear of the Lamanites had come upon them. And it came to pass their continual cries did stir up the remainder of the people of Limhi to anger against the Lamanites again. And they went to battle again, but they were driven back again, suffering much loss. Verse 12, they went again the third time and suffered in the like manner. They go to battle three times of their own strength, trying to fight their way out, and it doesn't work. And so in verse 13, they did humble themselves even to the dust, subjecting themselves to the yoke of bondage, submitting themselves to be smitten and to be driven to and fro and burdened according to the desires of their enemies. And they did humble themselves even in the depths of humility, and they did cry mightily to God. Yea, even all the day long did they cry unto their God that he would deliver them out of their afflictions. 
There's a couple of points to take from this. The first is clear. We cannot get ourselves out of bondage by sheer force of will. We cannot free ourselves from spiritual trials or from spiritual temptations, especially if they're ones we've brought on ourselves, just by our own zealous striving behavior. Without God on our side, our efforts will be like those of Limhi's army and they'll be fruitless. However, God does deliver his people. In verse 15, even though he's slow to hear their cries, nevertheless, the Lord did hear their cries and began to soften the hearts of the Lamanites that they began to ease their burdens. Yet the Lord did not see fit to deliver them out of bondage. It came to pass that they began to prosper by degrees. And so point number two is God will deliver us, but sometimes, in fact, maybe many times, we're not delivered immediately, but only prosper by degrees. Elder Christofferson gave this quote um, a couple of years ago. He said, real repentance, real change may require repeated attempts, but there is something refining and holy in such striving. Divine forgiveness and healing flow quite naturally to such a soul. And so I believe, in fact, I know from my own experience, you can't fight your way out of spiritual bondage, whether that's temptations or whether it's addictions. You can't fight your way out of it. You are not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. We need to be able to fight in the strength of the Lord. We need to be able to be humble and allow him to deliver us, even if it's just prospering us by degrees until one day we're delivered. President Bednar shared a story of when he first got put into um, as president of Rick's College. And they were in a big meeting. A lot of changes were being announced about Rick's becoming BYU-Idaho. And he said, um, as they walked out of a building that night, one of my colleagues asked, President, are you scared? As best as I can recall, I answered something like this. If I thought we had to execute this transition relying exclusively upon our own experience and our own judgment, then I would be terrified. But we will have help from heaven because we know who is in charge and that we are not alone. Then no, I am not scared. And I hope that as we use these ideas and as we allow God to teach us and to help us and to heal us, and as we're looking up, that we can remember that when we're on God's errand, that we don't need to be scared. Speaking of time warping in the Book of Mormon right now, this is now us again back here in 2020. And we just want to end with this one thought. Mosiah 7 verse 18, this is Limhi speaking to his people. And I love what he says because I think it's so applicable to us today and everything that we just got done listening to and studying. He says, O oh my people, lift up your heads and be comforted. For behold, the time is at hand or is not far distant when you shall no longer be in subjection to our enemies, notwithstanding our many strugglings which have been in vain, yet I trust there remaineth an effectual struggle to be made. I've been fascinated with that idea of what's the difference between a struggling in vain and an effectual struggle. It's not that one is a struggle and one's not because they're, because they're both struggles. One of them, however, has a key element, and it's in verse 19. Therefore, 
Lift up your heads and rejoice, and put your trust in God, in that God who was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and also that God who brought the children of Israel out of, uh, out of the land of Egypt and caused that they should walk through the Red Sea on dry ground and fed them with manna that they might not perish in the wilderness, and many more things did he do for them. Um, we hope that your study this week helps you to feel like God can free you from bondage. Um, and that even though there might remain an effectual struggle in everything that we're going through in the world right now, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that there is freedom and peace up ahead. That's our conviction. And we're excited for your study this week. Thanks so much for studying with us this week. We look forward to these next few weeks of our study of Mosiah. So we hope that... Um, it's exciting for you too. Have a great week.